Well, I also want to welcome you uh, today. Welcome those here at 930, those at the Well and the Well Cafe. Uh, If we have not met, my name is David, and I want you to know I am so glad that you are here. It is Labor Day weekend. It is four-day Labor Day weekend, which is pretty much whoever developed the school calendars, their way of saying, just don't go to church. Leave town. Go. Do whatever you want. Don't be here. So you're here. I'm so proud of you. You should turn to the person next to you and say, you deserve ice cream today. Would you tell them that? You deserve ice cream today because you came to church. And if you're watching online, I guess you can have some ice cream too. I'm just so excited that you're here as we share the, uh, the third week of this series focused on uh, helping us uh, start a new year well. We started with the idea that when, when we think about the rhythm of our life, uh, it, the new year really is the beginning of a school year rather than a calendar year. And again, the, this series is all about how do we start that new year well. We, we talk about the idea that unlocking that, uh, the, the, the key to a new year is often not what we think it is. It's, uh, it's not about adding to our life. It's not about uh, doing more, working 15% harder than we did last year, but rather it's often about less. It's about making critical decisions in our life about what really matters in our life. It's about having the courage to be able to look at the crowdedness of your life and to be able to say, this is more important than that. And this is something I have to hold on to because it's critical, it's so, so important, but this, this is something that in wisdom I'm willing, I'm willing to leave behind. Today, if you have your Bible, you can open that to Matthew 25 is where we're gonna be. If you don't have your Bible with you in all of our worship spaces, you can find Matthew 25 on page 1544 in the blue Bibles that we have there for you. Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute, but one scripture that we've looked at the last several weeks, Psalm 90 verse 12, Lord, uh, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We talked about that one of the challenges we all face is the temptation to buy into the lie of the unlimited life, that there will always be enough time, there will always be enough space, we'll somehow be able to achieve and do everything that we want to achieve and do, but but wisdom comes when we recognize the limits of our life, that life is fragile, life is precious, each day is a gift, and, and again, we make those critical decisions to decide how we want to spend and invest our lives, what is of most critical importance to us as we think about our future. Last week we talked about relationships and how Jesus elevates relationships as the most important thing in our lives because it's in the context of relationships that we are formed. Uh, When we think about discipleship, finding faith and faith being formed and us growing as disciples of Jesus, that happens in the context of relationships and the people that we share our life with. And so what I gave you last week was just a tool to look at the relationships in your life and, and and to test the health and the vitality of those relationships, recognizing that 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 web of people that surrounds you, that they are the, they're the avenues by which God is at work in your life and you are a conduit of God's grace in the lives of those that you are sharing relationships with. Uh, Today I want to begin with this quote that I read several years ago. I don't even know where it came from, but it really just kicked me in the gut when when I came across it. Your priorities are what you do, not what you say you do. They are not the things that you say are important. They're not the things you say you really value. They are instead what is exhibited by the life that you live, 
by the way in which, again, you invest your life, the way in which you spend your life. That is the clearest testimony, clearest evidence of what really are the priorities in your life. Your priorities are what you do, not what you say you do. And so in these last two weeks of this series, we're going to look at two things in our life that are clear evidence. Uh, They give clear evidence of what really matters in our life, what our real priorities are. And we're going to start today by talking about the checkbook, and next week we're going to talk about the calendar as we think about, again, that priorities are what we do. They're not what we say we do. Now, since we live in an ever-changing world, let me make sure everybody knows what I mean by a checkbook, okay? Because we live in a world where you can, you can exchange money in all sorts of different ways, and, and we're learning new ways all the time, or they're being introduced to us. And, but, but I'm guessing everyone at some point, uh, prob- you probably still at least write a, a check or two. You know, you, you take, a, take the time to fill that out, write the date, all those kinds of things, uh, and pass that along when, whenever you're, uh, you're making a, a transaction. So you may think that a checkbook is just a, well, it's just a book of checks. It's just a collection of checks, but it, it actually includes something else. There's another thing that the bank puts in the box with the checkbook that, that most of you don't use. It used to be really, really important. Half of you don't even know what it's for. It's that last thing that's in the, the little box when you go to get another book of checks and then you realize this isn't checks. This is some random thing that the bank threw in there. It's called a ledger. And the idea of the ledger, again, way back in the olden days, I mean, we're talking before 2000, what you did was you would use that ledger to write down every check that you wrote and every deposit that you made so that you would know what resources you had in your account. You would know where you were But you could also, by looking at that ledger, you could see where everything went. You could see the decisions that you'd made over the course of a month or however however much you'd filled in of of where you were spending the resources of your life. And then at the end of the month, you could balance your checkbook, which some of you have no idea what that is, and that's okay. But that was how you knew where you were. Now, I know some are wondering, why didn't you just log in online, see what your account balance was? But again, olden days, life is so much different now. But that was the idea of the ledger. You could see where you were spending the resources of your life. And in looking at where you were spending the resources of your life, you could see evidence of what you really value in your life, what's important to you in your life, where you were, where you were giving of yourself in, in the various ways that you do as you, as you think about sharing your life. And whether we like hearing about this subject in our lives or whether I like talking about it, Here's what's clear when you read the scriptures, when you read the gospels, when you listen to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus really cared about this area of our life. He really cared about it. He, he talked about it all of the time. And, and we might also note that the audience, the, the audience that Jesus spoke to in the first century was primarily people who were very deficient in the area of the resources they had in their life. And yet Jesus constantly comes back to the issue of money and wealth and possessions and and the relationship that we develop with possessions in our life. Let me just give you a, a couple examples of that. Matthew 6, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. 
Luke 6, Jesus says, give to everyone who asks you. That's good advice, right? Give, it, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Be merciful, Jesus says, just as your father is merciful. Mark chapter 10, a rich man comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus provides a, a couple of ideas to him and he says, all these things I have done, what else? What else is there, Jesus? And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all of your possessions, give to the poor and come and follow me. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he tells this really encouraging story of a rich man who has a great harvest and he says, with this big harvest, I'm gonna have to build bigger barns to hold the harvest and the rich man begins to dream about how life one day will be so easy because of the great wealth that he has accumulated. Jesus refers to him as a foolish man because he never gets to see that life. His life is cut short. Paul writing to Timothy says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich will fall into temptation and, 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 a, and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we could keep going, wouldn't that be fun? But we'll stop there because we haven't even gotten to Matthew 25 yet. But I share all those with you because I hope that that raises in you a question. Maybe it's something you've wondered for a long time. The question is, why does Jesus care? Why does Jesus care so much about this area of our life? Why, why does he come back to this over and over again? Why is this an area that, that is an area of concern for Jesus? And as you think about that question, now, now listen to Matthew 25 and this story that Jesus shares here. It's a story of a, of a master who has three servants. Uh, uh, beginning in verse 14, we read that the master entrusted his wealth to the three servants. The master leaves to go on a journey. He gives to each of the servants according to their ability. He gives to one five bags of gold, one uh, two bags of gold, one one bag of gold. He leaves on the journey. And, and while he is gone, uh, verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once, put the money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two did the same. He put it to work, he gained two more. But the, but the man, verse 18, who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Master comes back and the one with five bags of gold brings his, uh, what he has uh, done with, with that five bags of gold, he brings it back to the master and says that he's gained five more and the master responds by saying, verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the same thing happens with the one who had two bags of gold and, and gained two more. Again, the master celebrates him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then we get to verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and he said, master, 
I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Verse 30, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's kind of a harsh ending to the story, right? What happens to the final servant, you may wonder, what, what does that mean? How, do, how does this apply to our lives as we think about the resources of our life? And whenever I ask that question, one of the things I've shared with you before is I, I don't turn to what I learned in seminary or, or, or really what I've learned since in studying the Bible. I go back to eighth grade. And I remember what my youth pastor uh, said to us in, in trying to figure out how the Bible applies to our life. He just gave us three simple questions. And uh, the questions are, what does this say about God? What does this say about us and what does this say about the relationship between God and us, the relationship that we share with our creator? So, so just a few observations uh, out, of those, out of those questions. The first is, in this story, the money belongs to the master. That's what we read in the very beginning, that it's the master's resources. And again, verse 14 says the master had entrusts the resources to the servants, it's out of, he is the source of everything and, and he gives to each of the servants according to their ability. He gives to them uh, his own resources for them, for them to use. The, the money comes from the master and the master has a mission. It's not clear what the mission is. We don't, we don't read there in the beginning the instructions that the master gives to each of the three servants as he entrusts his wealth to them, but it's clear from what he does when he returns that he had an outcome in mind, right? He had a goal. There was something he wanted to see done with his resources in entrusting them to the servants. There was a mission that the master had in mind. And when the master gave the money, the master also gave to his servants. He entrusted to them the mission. He, he gave that to them. He, he, he planted that in their life. By giving them the resources, he, he shared with them the mission. And context is really important here, by the way. We're, we're at the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus, next chapter, he's going to be in Gethsemane. We're going to, we're going to be in, at the Last Supper. He, he is in Jerusalem. He has come to Jerusalem to confront the religious leadership. He has come to condemn them. He has come to confront them. He, he's come to speak to those who were the stewards of God's blessing and God's covenant the leaders in Jerusalem who, who not only were, were in charge of the temple and the structure of, of all of Israel's life, but, but who were also those who were the caretakers of the covenant, the original instruction that God had given. When he said to Abraham, Genesis 12, I will bless you and in you all peoples of the world will be blessed. That was the mission, that was the hope, that was the dream, that was who Israel was called to be. 
But these leaders not, not only had failed to live up to that calling, the, the leadership in Jerusalem, not all of Israel, but the leadership there that Jesus comes to confront, they were the ones who had been coerced into the oppression of their own people by the Romans. They were corrupt. They had forgotten what their original calling was. And in the background of this confrontation, maybe you'll remember what Jesus says in the very beginning of the Gospels when he's speaking to these poor downtrodden people and he says these crazy words, you're the light of the world. Me? You, you are the light of the world. Sitting on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't take a light, you hide it under a bowl. You, instead, you, you leave it out so that it can illuminate everything. That's who you are. That's who God's people were called to be. It was as if Jesus was saying, you, you are all candles. And God is the one who has created the spark. And God is the one who has lit the flame and you are the bearer of that flame, that light that God has given to you, that is a light that is meant to illuminate your life, but it's not just for you. It is a light that is meant to be the light of all humankind. This is who you are called to be. This is the gift that the Father has given, a gift that is meant to bless you, but a gift that was also meant to be a blessing for all the world. So why does Jesus care? Why, why does he speak so much about this area of our life? Why does he have such great concern about this relationship that we have with the, with the resources in our life? Well, well, God has called us, you have been called to use things. Things are an important part of your life. You use them in order to live your life. You're called to use things and to love people. But what do we all do in our sin and our brokenness? In our sin and our brokenness, we find ourselves over and over again using people, and we find ourselves loving things. We get our lives turned backwards, upside down, and, and Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to not only show us a better way, but Jesus comes to set us right again. Jesus comes to once again create the spark in your life, to once again reignite that flame in your life, to give you light. Light that would illuminate your life, but light that would illuminate all the world. Blessing, but not just for you, but blessing for the entire world. You might think about it this way. One of the things that I struggle with is waiting, to, waiting for gifts. I don't know if you have this problem in your life. I, I, sometimes it's waiting to receive a gift, but, but for me, it's actually waiting to give a gift, especially when I go shopping early, like for Christmas or a birthday. I... I I have been known at times to give a birthday gift two or three weeks in advance because I've just purchased it and I'm excited and I want to give it. I don't know if you've had this issue in your life, it doesn't work out really well because once you get to the birthday, it's pretty anticlimactic. Remember that gift I gave you three weeks ago? That's what your gift is. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And I love the process of, of wrapping up gifts and seeing them unwrapped and the anticipation of that. That's, that's fun. But my favorite way to give a gift, especially to my kids, is I love having them simply sit down, hold out their hands and close their eyes. You ever done this before? And you just see them, you know, they can't wait. They, but to have them with their eyes closed and their hands open and to put that gift in their hands. 
And as you think about why Jesus cares about the resources in your life and the way that you're spending the resources of your life, I want to ask you, have you ever thought about your life that way? That your life, every single part of it is a gift that God has placed in your hands. And every resource in your life, whether they be abundant or whether they be small, they're gifts that God has placed in your life. And with the same heart that a a mom or a dad or anyone gives to another with the same sense of joy and anticipation and excitement, so God has given to you because God wants to bless you. God wants to to enrich your life, but God also wants to bless the world. And God gives to each of us this incredible honor of actually participating in the way that God is blessing the world. And just in case you're nervous, we're not passing the offering plate again. Because this isn't just about how you give. This is about how you live every single moment of your life with the recognition that everything you have is a gift. Everything that you have is grace. Everything that you have is a reflection of God's heart and joy and delight in you and the calling, the calling that God offers to each and every one of us to be lights for the world. Today we come to receive Holy Communion. It's something we do as a, as a sacrament of our faith, as a holy and sacred moment. And, and I know that as you come forward to receive communion, you will do so with a sense of reverence and a sense of, of thanksgiving, recognizing that this is more than just bread and juice. It's, it is a sacrifice of God for, for each and every one of us. You'll receive it as a gift a gift from God. But this week as you think about a new year and you think about the resources of your life and you think about the checkbook and how you're investing your life, whatever that looks like, I wanna encourage you to have that same sense of reverence and gratitude, thanksgiving as you think about everything in your life. So this week, you, don't do, you may not do this all, all the rest of your life uh, on a regular basis, but this week, I want to challenge you to do something. Before you eat or drink anything, at any, at any time over the course of these next seven days, I want to encourage you to do that with the same reverence that you would come forward today and receive Holy Communion, that you would, before receiving, you would just take a, a moment to say, thank you, God, for this gift, for the light that you give to me, and the light you've called me to be. That's why this is so important. Because it's remembering that everything, everything, everything in our life is a gift from God. Let's pray together. Loving God, we pray that you would overwhelm us today that you would overwhelm us, Lord, with a recognition of all that you have poured into our lives and the tremendous honor it is, Lord, to, 
to be a part of the blessing that you are sharing with all of the world. We do that, Lord, confessing together our sin, knowing, Lord, that we in our brokenness often turn life upside down Instead of using things, we fall in love with them. Instead of loving people, we end up using them for our own good. Forgive us, we pray, Lord. Redeem us and enable us to live as you have called us to live. And as we think about all of the resources of our life, every single thing that passes through our hands, May we be ever mindful of your great joy in sharing these gifts, Lord, and our great responsibility of being stewards of all that you have invested in our lives. And all these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.